Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard. Good to be with you. We got a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, my contributor, none other than Sharon Reed, a news anchor, host, and commentator. She'll be an amazing analysis. Also, bullpen, I got Corey Walker. Corey from Young Voices would like to debate me on the student loan forgiveness program. Looks like a lot of conservatives have problems. But this should be a fascinating debate. Top story of the day, defund the police. Yep, police once again defunding themselves. A federal jury has awarded $100 million to an elderly man who was tasered by the police, busted his head and is paralyzed from the neck down. Because a cop decided to break protocol to violate the law and to violate this citizen. Here's part of the video. This encounter between Atlanta police officer John Grubbs and Jerry Blasingame, who was 65 years old at the time, all started with this. He was panhandling and the police of course rolled up on him, chased him and then ran after him. The victim's legal team says the officer struck Blasingame in his back when he was about 10 feet away from the officer. Jerry then fell, again, face forward, face planted, and smashing his head, multiple facial fractures, brain injury, and broke his neck. Sir, sir, sir. This body camera footage shows Blasingame unconscious and motionless. The man was not even under arrest. Let's put the picture of the individual who was the victim of the Atlanta police, Jerry Blazingame, 69 years of age, he's poor. He was poor, so he was asking for money. And APD just considered this to be, I guess, a horrific crime and decided to engage this senior citizen and it led to his paralysis. Well, the jury has now said the city owes $100 million to him and his family. 69 year old man in Atlanta who sustained a life changing injury after he was tased by the police has been awarded a nine figure judgment by a jury. Civil rights advocates note that despite the historic victory, the officer who the court decided used excessive force is still employed by the city of Atlanta. Let's put up his picture. Now I want everybody to know Officer John Grubbs here. You see Officer John Grubbs, he works for the city of Atlanta. He decided to physically harm a senior citizen, an elderly man who's poor. 
who's in poverty. Let me say this to you, young brother. In my opinion, you deserve to go to jail. Let's put his picture back up. I want people to remember him. You deserve to be in jail. You're not. You got lucky because of an industry that's willing to protect you rather than protect citizens. When you signed up to be an APD cop, when you went to the academy, I'm sure your mama was proud of you. I'm sure members of your family said encouraging things to you. Did they ever think that you would damn near kill a senior citizen because he's poor? Did you think you would be in this position? Now I got more background to this story. Jerry Blassingame's conservator, his name is Keith Edwards, sued the city of Atlanta, the Atlanta Police Department and one of his officers, that guy you just saw, John Grubbs, on behalf of his client. Filing the civil suit in the US District Court for the Northern District of Georgia. This was back May 7, 2019. The ask was for his medical bills, both past and present and future, acquired as a result of the police involved injury that made him a quadriplegic with little use of his arms to be covered by the defendants. You know, the city of Atlanta, the Atlanta police, they had an opportunity right here to simply do the right thing. They could have said, you know what? We will cover the medical expenses because that's the least we could do. They decided not to. They decided to push this all the way to trial. You know how many cases go to trial in federal court? Less than 1%, less than 1%. They decided to push this liability all the way to a jury. And the jury decided to award not only compensatory, but also punitive. Which means they wanted to punish the city of Atlanta police for what they did. There's more. A federal grand jury sided with the 69 year old saying that Officer Grubbs used an unreasonable amount of force, violated police department policy and violated his civil rights when he tased the elderly man in the back after he ran away from Grubbs on July 10th, 2018. Mr. Blassingame was awarded a total of $100 million. Breaking it up, 60 million coming from the APD, 40 million coming from the cop himself. Now, will he ever get to see the 40 million? Of course not, because cops are not mandated to carry liability insurance as a medical doctor would. The Georgia Division of the NAACP described the award as the largest in an individual civil case connected to civil rights violations by law enforcement, Johnson said. We are very, very grateful to this amazing jury and so proud of the amazing work they've done in holding this officer accountable and getting justice for Mr. Blazingame. One of the lawyers representing Atlanta and the officer, Stacy J. Miller, maintained throughout the trial, while the man's injuries are unfortunate and tragic, the officer was within his rights to use the taser based on his judgment. She argued it was not a case of intentional excessive force, but a consequence of his acceptable policing based on his assessment of exigent circumstances that could endanger others. Exigent circumstances, you say. So there's an admission here that this officer violated the norms of policing. There's no question about it. There's no question that this officer's conduct, the intentional conduct led to the paralysis and damn near death of a senior citizen, no question. And the defense was, well, the reason he broke protocol is because this was, you know, one of those exigent circumstances, really. 
running after poor black men who are elderly qualifies as an exigent circumstance, according to the defense. Sounds like baloney, right? That's exactly what the jury said. That's why they awarded $100 million to the elderly man. According to the lawsuit, Blessing Game was asking for money near Windsor Street, close to downtown Atlanta when he encountered Officer Grubbs and another cop. He, an unarmed black man, was walking up to cars making his petition. The two cops arrived, arrived to hold and told him to stop. Due to the tase and subsequent fall, the elderly man became unconscious and was bleeding profusely from his head. The complaint read, 11 Alive reports, Johnson said, since he's not under arrest, he can run or do whatever he wants to do, Johnson said. Jerry then fell again, face forward, face planted in smashing his head, multiple facial fractures, brain injury, and broke his neck. The injured man has accrued more than 14 million in medical bills and now requires 25 hour care at a residential facility because of his injuries. And his future care is anticipated to be approximately $1 million per year for the rest of his life. Now, I'm sure you're upset, right? I'm upset. This is gonna make you even more upset. This cop is still employed by APD. APD records show and state this cop was placed on administrative leave initially. And the department launched what they call a deep dive into the case. However, six months before an internal investigation was even completed, he was allowed to go back to work on the street. So now let me bring something home for everybody. 100 million, remember that number. Where are the people who are anti-defund the police? Where are the conservatives who don't want money taken away from cops? You see, everybody's okay with defund the police until until an issue like this creates, let's say a nuance in the argument. Black Lives Matter, they say defund the police. I'm good with that because I understand what it means. It means reprioritize the policing budget. But when a cop actually does defund the police, when a cop actually takes money away from the police, where's that conservative faction? You see, it's not about the money, they want you to think They don't want money taken away from policing. They don't want budgets to shrink. They want you to think they care. They want you to think they care about your taxpayer dollars. They don't, they care about the narrative. That's what they care about. As long as the narrative is still police heavy. Remember, they are willing to allow a cop who has just cost them a $100 million liability to still have a gun and walk on the streets of Atlanta as a cop. It's not about the money. Who in the hell will allow someone who just cost your agency a hundred million damn dollars to continue to operate in their profession? Nobody, nobody would do that except for the police. Cuz it's not about the money, it's about the narrative, the narrative. This cop put his picture back up, still carrying a gun, a taser and gainfully employed by the city of Atlanta, all right? Okay, sharing thoughts on this case. This federal jury wanted to send a message with the $100 million. They thought they were really doing something big. It sounds really, really big, but you know what? It's not all of the, I don't know anyone who would raise their hands and say, 
give me a hundred million dollars and I'll be a prisoner in my own body, which is what Mr. Blazing Games lawyer said. He's got no ability to move freely anymore. All because he was asking for what? Some change, a few dollars. It's time for everyone to go on trial here. The city council president, instead of asking for this award to be reduced, Dr. Ritchie, they should have dumped this guy. They should have dumped this guy, Officer Grubbs, like he was, you know, a wife who cheated on you and ran up your Amex. They should have got rid of him, said, We want nothing. We're with you, Mr. Blazing Game. We want yep. nothing to do with this. But here we are. And he looks like a bully. And I'll say one last thing to you. You said his mother must have been proud of him, people perhaps in his family. I think there probably were people who said, Oh, no. He's yeah. gone to the academy. Oh no, don't give him a gun and a badge. He's probably been a bully his whole life because there's something special about a guy who runs after a senior citizen who looks very pleasant, even in his current state. Had a little smile on his face because he was asking for a few ducats. Yep. Yeah, it's a damn shame. We're gonna continue to follow this. We have to apply pressure for public servants to be accountable to the public. All right, so that's why we highlight these stories. Camden County, Georgia, a deputy sheriff, she decides to physically punch a suspect in handcuffs. Here it is. So that now we got this video last week was released last week. We also have new footage. We have newly obtained footage giving us a clearer audio of that arrest. Here it is. I want you to step out. I'd like to thank the vehicle for the reason why. Yeah, I want you to step out. But there's not a reason for me to because I told you to step out. Okay, so let's not. I want you to step out because I need you to step out, okay? I need to have a reason. You don't have to. Where is it stating that you have to have a reason? Yeah, come on. Get out. Get out of the car. Listen to me. I really don't want to break your window. 
I really don't. But when I tell you to get out of the vehicle, you are to get out of the vehicle. So get out of the vehicle. This was a basic stop sign violation. Put up the steel of this cop committing felony assault. See that steel? That's right before the officer decides to strike a handcuffed suspect multiple times. I'm gonna give you background to this. Let's keep that picture up for now. Ironically, who's coming to the rescue of the woman who has been violated by the police? Um, not the white community, the Camden County NAACP. The Camden County NAACP obtained the videos after they received a tip of the incident involving Miss Faria. Getting thrown to the ground, handcuffed, punched in the face and shoved into the front of a patrol car. Newman, the cop, had pulled over Miss Faria for missing a stop sign. Officer. Newman would approach the truck again when she learned Ms. Faria had a suspended license for what's called an unspecified non-judgment suspension, which also means it could have been a clerical error. The NAACP, they feel that this is not the first time the deputy, Christine, they call her Christy Newman, has used unnecessary force and now they want her fired and one actually called for her arrest. One. NAACP chapter president. Following the traffic stop, the department gave Deputy Christy Newman a warning. So they said, what you did was wrong, we're gonna give you a warning. Saying she violated the department's use of force policy and the woman posed no immediate threat. Newman's report says the woman was resisting her, holding on to the steering wheel while shoving and yanking her. Another deputy arrived and tried to tase the woman from the other side, but it did not work. Now, I'm going to give you some more background, but before I do that, I want you to be reminded of the other deputies who were there who witnessed this assault. They did not intervene, they should have a duty to do so. They did not report this individual, they did not bring it to the media, they did not bring it to the local community. They were all on the same page to harass one individual who was handcuffed and pulled over for a traffic issue. In a report, Deputy Newman. Said she was actively resisting while out of the truck. In the video, Deputy Newman gets her in handcuffs, pulls her up by her arms, lets her go, then steps over her while pointing down at her. Then the deputy walks away and the woman stands up. Newman's report said she tried to hold her up, but Faria pushed her away. In the video, you can see once she's up, the two deputies face Faria and then Deputy Newman 
grabs her by the arm, tugs on the shoulder, hits her twice in the face, pulls her by her hair and pushes her head into the front of the patrol car. So what do we have here? We already have lying on the police report. That's a criminal offense, that's against the law. That's a violation of oath of office, you can't be charged with a felony for that. The sheriff's deputy lied, the sheriff knows it was a lie. What did they do? They gave her a warning. There's more. The deputy's narrative said, and I quote, in my attempt to control the situation, she ended up being hit in the face and then forcefully put on the bumper of my patrol car. That's actually verbatim in the police report, look at it. That's verbatim. She says she ended up being hit in the face as if it magically happened. I, I, I don't know what happened here. She ended up being hit in the face. I have no idea. Let's put the steel up again. How it happened? Let's put that up again. Very clearly, she didn't end up being hit in the face. Madam, you hit her in the face multiple times. No threat to you. She was handcuffed, not trying to escape, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Criminal offense. You got away with it. In addition to that, this same cop was named Deputy of the Month. Also was praised by handling another situation. Where according to the narrative, she assisted in saving the life of an inmate. Um, News uh, Fort Jacks received Deputy Newman's personnel file. They found that she has been in law enforcement for five years and had one warning against her and it was for the January 16th incident. Okay, let's put up her uh, deputy of the month. You see what you're looking at? Now let's do the math here. This happened in January. She became deputy of the month in March. Literally after she physically assaulted, criminally violated a citizen in Camden County, they made her deputy of the month in March. News 4 Jax learned a bit more about the deputy's public information. Um, Officer Deputy Newman's warning. They said in part progressive discipline is used, according to the narrative, is used on cases where no other employee warning exists. Which in this case, no prior policy violations exist in Deputy Newman's file. The discipline was made upon the review of the supervisor. Well, isn't that something? Isn't that great? So the police are saying, we have a policy. Listen, if it's their first time doing something felony worthy and criminal against the citizen, we're gonna just let it go, as long as it's the first time. I mean, they actually said it on record. We already know that happens, but they literally said, we have a policy here. As long as there's nothing else in the background, we're gonna let it slide if it's the first time. They've committed a criminal offense. Uh, put up the picture of the sheriff. This is the Camden County Sheriff. They call him Jim Proctor. Jim stands by the deputy, um, gave her two days off without pay and additional training on the use of force and officer safety. And the cop was placed on probation immediately after the incident. I did a little digging here. You know those two days, no pay, she actually put in her vacation time so that no pay would lapse. See the game they're playing here? All right, Sharon, this is why people, many people do not like the police. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, then you know they, they probably then gave her a bunch of overtime as well. It's as if they're putting up ads. Dr. Ritchie that say, you know, wanted bullies, liars, and colluders. Okay. Mm-hmm. If if you are that kind of triple threat, 
join a police force near you. You're absolutely right. What they did after she was caught red handed, thank goodness for the tip and thank goodness for the NAACP. Although I would suggest that we stop calling for the firing and the arrest should come first. I want the arrest first, not the firing first. So there's all of that. This woman is a menace. The fact that people are looking into a record, the news team, the journalists down there is a farce. There's nothing in a record because police protect police. That's right, that's right. Lindsey Graham is calling for violence if individuals decide to prosecute Donald Trump. Here's the video. Say this. If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets. You heard what the man said. He said, if you do this to our beloved Donald Trump, there's gonna be riots in the street. Now he will say, "Oh, I'm just warning people. No, no, he's indoctrinating people. He's trying to animate people. He's trying to level a threat against those investigating the president, the former president. And in Lindsey Graham's own speech just then on TV, he said, if Trump is prosecuted for mishandling classified information. Oh, Wait a minute, Lindsey, you just admitted the man mishandled classified information. That's a violation of the Espionage Act. Are you now for? Presidents, former presidents violating the Espionage Act. Now, remember when Lindsey Graham said this about Trump? Here's what you're buying. He's a race-baiting, xenophobic, religious bigot. I think he's a kook. I think he's crazy. I think he's unfit for office. Ironic, isn't it? Ironic how Lindsey Graham all of a sudden has lost a backbone after Trump got power, real power. He lost his backbone and has not been able to find it ever since. There's more. Um, Expert Glenn Kishner said Fonnie Willis will successfully compel Trump's allies, including Lindsey Graham to testify against the former president and his efforts to overturn the Georgia election. There are multiple investigations. There are at least two criminal investigations, perhaps three, if you include Manhattan. There are multiple civil suits and civil investigations. Bottom line, Donald Trump is living the worst life of a former president ever imaginable. He will be a defendant for the rest of his life. The grand jury subpoenaed Graham in July amid reports that he allegedly questioned Raffensperger, who was the Secretary of State Chief Elections Officer in Georgia, about whether political bias might have prompted poll workers to accept ballots with signatures that did not match, and whether he could toss mail ballots in counties with high rates of unmatched signatures, allegations Graham has denied. Graham was handed a win last week after an appeals court delayed his testimony. As his attorneys seek to reject the subpoena, still Kishner predicted Graham would testify before the grand jury eventually, and I agree. Um, also, uh, Governor of Georgia Brian Kemp has a subpoena as well to testify, and he has not said no. He has basically said, "All right, I'll do it, but I'll do it after the election." Okay. Kemp's attorney last week said the governor should not have to testify due to the sovereign immunity, executive privilege, attorney client privilege, and proximity to the midterm elections. Well, damn. 
I had no idea that if you're running for political office, as long as you're close to a midterm election, you have immunity from a subpoena. News to me. In another more recent development, the grand jury subpoenaed Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, in which Kishner said he will also likely testify in the investigation. Whoa, there's something else happening in Georgia. Herschel Dan Walker, yes, lying ass, Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker continues to be the gift that keeps on giving. Now, Herschel Walker has made another mind numbing statement on the campaign trail. Here it is. We ought to defend our military. They're bringing wokeness in our military. Where well, wokeness is going to get people killed. I can promise you this. China, Iran, and, and uh, Russia are not talking about how you, how you identify. They're talking about being a superpower. And the way we can become a superpower again is by coming together. Because as Pharaoh said, when I wanted to keep my slaves in order, I kept them fighting among each other. But when they came together, something got to move. Let's move and get these people out of our office. There he is tap dancing again. You know what's ironic, Herschel? And I hope somebody gets this video to you, sir. You know, you're the only statewide candidate in the state of Georgia who has not been seen with the other statewide candidates on the campaign trail. You know, they don't have you on the tour bus going throughout the state of Georgia. Why did they leave you out? Why are they not willing to campaign with you? Why are they not doing rallies with you, but they're doing rallies with every other Republican white statewide candidate, but you. All right, sharing thoughts here. You know, I remember when uh, Senator Warnock debated, what's that other woman's name? Kelly something or another. Mm -hmm. And it was the craziest debate ever, Dr. Ritchie. Yes. All she said to all the questions was radical, radical, Warnock, <laughs> right. radical. I mean, it was, it was like an SNL sketch. It was better than one, it was real. Herschel Walker, I'm tempted to say I'm worried about him and his well, everything, okay? It is clear that he's missing something. But the other part of me says, well, maybe he's brilliant here. That is neck and neck with Senator Raphael Warnock, that who just spews nonsense and it consumes us and we can't look away. It's like this, this train wreck that's happening right before our eyes every time he steps before the podium. So maybe he's crazy like a fox, maybe, or we're all doomed. Yeah, so we're all doomed. Yeah. Um, Herschel is dumb as hell, all right? And I don't like saying that, and I have to be very measured as to who I allocate that to. Herschel's dumb as, dumb as hell, Marjorie Taylor Green, dumb one too, all right? These individuals are not smart, they're not geniuses, but they belong to a machine. And that machine has continued to be the catalyst for their success in politics on the right leaning side. We got more, it's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show. Let me read some of these comments. Travel Nurse Dragon says, "Ask some asking someone for spare change is a danger to society? Question mark, exactly, exactly. Uh, see the Silverhead Dragon, uh, Graham lost his backbone, question mark. I disagree, when they open Trump safe, uh, did they find Lindsay's and all other Repub's balls locked inside? <laughs> all right, 
Uh, Anthony McClendon, thank you for this, Anthony. Uh, you got me again, Doc. I was afraid um, Sh Shanita Foster would be fired when I saw the video, but I was unprepared for the tears I shed when I saw her in Friday's bullpen. Thanks for helping her and giving us the info to help too. Let's put that graphic up because I want to say a big thank you to all of the viewers of Indisputable. You all, you all make a difference every single day. This young lady was fired for being an anti-Karen. We covered her, we brought her on the program, we raised money for her. She needed $12,500, she's a single mother. She needed $12,500, you know how much you all raised? 32, 33,000 at this moment and it's still climbing. She's gonna probably have between 50 to $60,000, maybe even more by the end of this week because of you. I just wanna say thank you for that. All right, all right, Robert R. Williams Jr. I'd give all that money back just to be able to walk and move my arms again. Talking about the $100 million from APD that has been awarded by federal grand jury, by federal jury, excuse me. Uh, thank you, Anthony, uh, welcome to Indisputable. Um, Storm Griff, I believe this is, welcome to Indisputable. And let's get a twitch in here. Um, lovely Jellyfish 33, being poor is one of the biggest crimes in America. There you go, sad isn't it? All right, ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're gonna feel great, back off! I'm gonna tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Oh man, they don't know where to park your truck. All right, got you. Got me? Yep. I got you. They can't get around you. I got you. I got you. They can't get around you, street for the ass. I got you. Get out of I got your tag number. You got my tag number? Yep, I'm gonna call the police. What is your name? Well, what is your name? You're my license. This case. I got you. This racist male Karen has yet to be identified. ATL uncensored actually sent me this directly when it happened. Big ups to ATL uncensored. Great, great content there. Um, the identity of this particular male Karen. Let's put up his picture full mass here. Racist, violent, aggressive, and dangerous. As I said, these individuals are in fact a danger to society. You see, conflict happens, argumentation takes place. When you decide to engage in racist insults and physical assault, well, then you become my business. You know what I don't like? I don't like bullies, Mr. Mel Karen. And at some point, somebody will identify you because of this segment. An intervention is necessary. If you are someone connected to this male Karen, have a conversation with them before something, let's say, adverse happens. All right? All right. Sharon, thoughts here. I don't know what to say. We've talked before on this great show about the uniforms that these Karens wear. I had forgotten about the flip flops. Follow the flip flops, okay? They're and really, those aren't the right shoes if you're going to approach somebody, and it could end up in a physical confrontation. But there he is, okay? Tempting fate again, arms spread wide open because I'm a male Karen, and there's nothing you can do about it, and nothing's going to happen to me. And then came this show, and you, Dr. Ritchie, we've got to identify one by one, root them out. That's right.
it's so ironic you talked about the flip flops because I have a Karen O'Karen situation potentially, and they both have on flip flops. There it is. All right, double dose. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're still free. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Savages. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is likely Karen on Karen criminal activity here. It is interesting. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what was going on here. Uh, the details are sketchy, but here's what we do know they were both wearing flip flops. There you go. I have never heard a white man tell a white person, Look at you using your privilege, white privilege, and then the white person he's talking to responds and says, no, that's your white privilege. Fascinating. I mean, wow. All right, sharing thoughts here. I got nothing. I mean, <laughs> I, didn't, I couldn't tell what they were even arguing about. It could be a wing ding dinner for all I know. But it is fascinating that they're each weaponizing and throwing out this, this white privilege. And it must be a beautiful thing to even argue about who has more and who's using it wisely. We don't know anything about that. But it is, it continues to just fascinate me. It really does. As much as you can, I've urged you before, get more grants, study more this species and see right. what we can do to, to rid ourselves of them. I'm just waiting for some PhD student to literally do their research uh -huh. around Karenicity. I'm available for the interview, all right? <laughs> just, I know a lot about it. I damn near have a PhD in this by now. So yes. holla at me, okay? I got a lot of insight. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Before I do that, very excited, our dear sister, Senator Nina Turner. Unbossed with Senator Turner coming right here, all right? Easy, 4 p.m. Eastern time, 1 p.m. Pacific time, starting October 17th, every weekday. We're gonna cover our government, media, and other sectors so that you would know how to fix corruption, I had a great conversation with Nina Turner earlier this morning. She's excited about this show and I'm excited for her, all right? So make sure you subscribe, youtube.com forward slash unbossed 
TYT. Read the comments. All right, Lynn says, isn't the Karen parked in a non-parking area? Question mark. Craig Grace Souffle, these male Karens could have could have looked worse. They could have been wearing those flip flops with socks. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's funny. That is a southern thing, by the way. Flip flops and socks. Okay. Burn the Kiwi Dragon. Uh, when is Karen on Karen? Can we call it Karenabilism? I guess so. That may work. Now roll it off the tongue a few times. All right. I got a question. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. He's trying to steal my money off the thing because I already prepaid. I don't know. I think this is who he works for. We ain't like the one you cross the mask. Yep, yeah, uh, this Intech employee who's driving the Intech truck uh, not only stole gas, according to the young black female, but also decided to call her a black B word. All right. Now, this happened in Georgia at a QT in the state of Georgia. While details are sketchy. Um, I do have information about Intech because we have not been able to independently identify this particular employee. Intech says on their website, and I quote, we design and build battery separator lines, extruders and parts with our in-house engineering, machining and fabrication resources. Combining best in class equipment with our pursuit of continuous improvement, manufacturing gives us, gives our customers the full benefit of over 25 years of experience in these industries. We believe that our success is possible only if we do our utmost to make our customers successful. You will see and feel this commitment from the first day you do business with Intech. All right, uh, once again, this video courtesy of ATL Uncensored, Atlanta Uncensored, very thankful for ATL Uncensored and all they do. Let me put up the picture of the CEO of Intech, okay? His name is Larry Keith. Larry is the CEO and owner. He's been with Intech since 1986. As it stands now, there is an unconfirmed statement from Intech, but since I did not see it validated on their website, I chose not to bring it to you. But Intech has an opportunity here to identify this employee and tell us exactly what they did with this employee per their investigation. If an investigation has not started, well, damn it, today it is time, all right? Because you can't hide now. Um, what would compel someone to literally steal gas from somebody and then call them the B word in the process of doing so? All right, Sharon, ironic, insane, but the world we're living in. What are your thoughts here? I mean, I'm contemplating the question. I don't know. <laughs> you know, white privilege and moonshine. I, he also <laughs> threat. He also threatened her. 
You yeah. heard him say something about smack and get out of his face or something or get out of his way or he would he would smack it. Um, this is a dangerous individual. And if that were my company, you employ people, a lot of people, yeah. Dr. Richie. I know I'd get out in front of this unless I was complicit or I agreed. Yeah, and this company has offices all over the planet. They are an international company. This is a bad look, obviously. They make millions, if not a billion plus a year. But things like this, PR nightmares, get in front of it, as Sharon said. All right. California police, racist text messages exposed. Let me give you some background to this. Let's put up the picture of this young man who's at the center of this. A day after Torrance police shot Christopher DeAndre Mitchell, this was in 2018. His mother and a dozen of his loved ones staged a protest outside of the department headquarters. Keep that picture up. In an update, even more repulsive racist text messages shared between cops in California, Torrance police department have surfaced causing local residents to say the force is too biased to keep the town safe. While the department became embroiled in scandal last year, when cops racist text messages first came to light, the Los Angeles Times reported Thursday that new court documents revealed even more bowel messages shared between officers on the force with cops using the N word and joking about killing black people, killing black people. In one exchange, according to the Times, a group of cops complained about a group of black people gathering outside of the police station after their family member was shot and killed by the police. Was going to tell you all those N words family members are all pissed off in front of the station, one officer said, according to the Times report. Now, they are literally there at the police station because a loved one has been killed by the police. They believe that the killing was unjustified and rooted in racial bias. How do the police respond to this? By showing their bias in the text messages they send to each other, showing their disdain for the humanity of black people. There's more. Officers then allegedly joked about a gun cleaning party. If the identities of the cops who shot the black man became public. Yes, absolutely. Let's all just post in our yard with lawn chairs and a firing squad. Another officer replied according to the documents obtained by the Times. You see the scandal first erupted back in December of 2021. So I gotta take you back. That's when the LA Times released a trove of racist and discriminatory messages sent by Torrance officers. In those, the cops shared an image a black man who had been lynched, joking that they were hanging with the homies as they put in the text messages. Another text message said cops should break a tail light on a black man's car and shoot him if he was caught having an affair with one of the officer's girlfriends. The messages also showed that officers joked about gassing Jewish people and assaulting members of the LGBTQ plus community. The scandal prompted an investigation from the state attorney general's office. That's according to Fox 11, LA reported that criminal cases in which the officers were involved 
continue to be dismissed. And at least one man has been released from prison. Lawsuits filed against officers involved have already cost Torrance more than $10 million. Once again, defunding the police by way of the police. Still, most of the officers implicated remain employed by the city. Let's put up two pictures here, let's put them up. The officers involved in the text message exchange include Christopher Tom Sick and David Chandler. The exact number of officers still unclear, but 15 of them, 15 have already been placed on administrative leave so far in relation to racist text messages being released, okay? Now, here's the problem, here's the problem. They have been placed on administrative leave, not fired. They have been placed on administrative leave. They are still getting paid money. They are likely going to come back to the department because others have had their cases dismissed even when there was validated criminal conduct by the cop. This is called culture. They do have an anti-racism policy on the books. They have an anti-discriminatory policy. They all sign up and say yes, I will faithfully execute the office of blah, blah, blah. And they sign a sheet of paper, they swear an oath and the policy is accurate. The policy is appropriate. But as I say all the time, culture eats policy alive every day of the week. This is culture, this is culture. And the fact that they are able to still get paid showed you how deep the culture permeates. There's a reason why these cops are not shown the door. You know why? Because if they leave, if they get on the chopping block, they got some people they can snitch on, such as their sergeant, their captain, and maybe even their chief. So when you see these cops remain in position and you scratch your head and you wonder why, understand that they're connected to a superior complex or a supervisor complex that engages in the same culture as they believe in. That's why. All right, put up the chief here. There he is, Jeremiah Hart. He is the head class, I mean the head chief for that police department. Sharon, thoughts here. You know, my thought is I wish they'd be less brazen and more creative. You know, mm-hmm. you can fool a lot of people if you're just a little more creative. Why not just fire them and violate due process and then come back and say, oh, well, we had to hire them back. We violated due process. They could, you know, pull that number one time. It's sick. These vile text messages about blacks, I think he said Jews, gays too. It yeah. it's not just that they can't keep the community safe, Dr. Ritchie. The force is the threat. The force is yep. the threat to this community. Yeah, and remember the goal, the goal was never policing. The goal was public safety. Policing is never your goal. Policing is one aspect of public safety. And police, police departments, they have made many people fall for the okie doke as it relates to their departments. Police don't solve crimes, they solve less than 2% of crimes. Every one cop you hire, every new additional cop you hire, They only decrease crime in the best surveys available by 0.012628%, less than 1%. So every one cop you hire, they are resolving or or providing a remedy to crime at a rate of less than 1%. That's not bang for your buck. If you engage the same amount of salary to preventative, according to the DOJ, you increase your chances to lower criminality by 20 to 30%. That's a fact. 
That's verifiable fact. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome, <laughs> welcome back. We got a lot of show left, let me read a couple of comments. I'm kind of pressed for time. Okay, uh, Shikita Ganabe Dragon says, why would you steal gas to fuel a vehicle you don't even own? All right, that's a good point. Um, Soul Life says, uh, the black part was so unnecessary. Yep, that's right. Okay, horrific um, video from the state of Florida. Just gonna go to the video, we'll give you background, here it is. I'm a paramedic. Okay. Got a hole I'm a nurse. Right just above his brain. Okay, we're going to put a chest seal, okay? So bear with me, okay? Bring him down. Hey, open his airway, okay? Put him down on his back. Open his airway. Now I'm gonna give you the background. You see the young man who was shot and killed was actually trying to protect his brother who was on the ground shot and dying because of another conflict. So literally you have a brother who pulled out his gun in order to protect his family member. The police come, he's no threat to the police. He is armed because he was trying to defend his brother from being killed. That's your background. Now I'm going to give you the update. Body cam footage released by the Orange County Sheriff's Office. Last week shows a deputy arriving at the Heritage Hotel around 1230 PM, August 6th. And finding a man on the ground with a gunshot wound to the chest. Police said the victim, whose name is Dylan Jimenez, 21, and his brother, Brian Matthew Richardson, had been involved in an altercation with another man before the cops arrived. Okay, here are the brothers pictured with their mother. Okay, both of those brothers um, are now dead. The family says Richardson had been holding his gun to provide protection to the first deputy on scene and the EMT who was tending to his brother as his attacker was still at large. All right, do you understand what's happening here? The attacker was still at large. You gotta follow the irony of this and how sad it is. So the brother kept his gun out in order to protect any additional attack to his brother, to EMT, or even to the deputy who's providing aid to his dying brother. Now remember, Republicans are the ones who say, listen, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. But this was literally a good guy with a gun. This is not the first time we've covered a good guy with a gun being killed by the police. There's more. Um, the young man and the unidentified man shot at each other. The brother who was laying dying, they had a shootout. Okay, the confrontation uh, in the confrontation and was hit according to the officials. As a dying Jimenez is being tended to on Lucas tell the deputy that his sibling Richardson who is standing nearby has a gun, which is a statement of fact, he did have a gun. The deputy then turns his attention, as you can see, turns his attention to the young man, Mr. Richardson, 
and repeatedly commands him to drop his weapon. Well, he's trying to explain why he is legally armed, why he has the weapon in the first place, what he's attempting to do. What does the deputy do? He doesn't listen, he decides to shoot Mr. Richardson several times. Orange County Sheriff John Mina, let's put him up. So the Orange County Sheriff in a statement said, and I quote, deputies directed that man, later identified as Brian Richardson, to drop the gun. When he did not comply, one deputy fired his weapon. That's it, that's it. So here's what's happening now. The family is outraged, yeah, the family is outraged because Mr. Richardson should be alive, but he's dead, he's dead. Why is he dead? He's dead because an officer read the situation wrong. An officer decided to shoot first, ask questions never, he's dead. The community connected to this family, they're outraged, primarily a white community. I have to be honest with you, were you outraged when they did it to George Floyd? Were you outraged when they did it to Breonna Taylor? Were you outraged when they did it to Freddie Gray or countless others who may not share your same hue? See, my point is we're all in this together, every single one of us. This is not black versus white. This is righteousness versus evil. This is decency versus indecency. This is appropriateness versus inappropriateness. This is culture versus culture. They were both transported to the hospital. They were both pronounced dead. The third injured man was taken to the hospital, remains there. The deputy who shot Mr. Richardson has been placed on temporary administrative leave. And Mina said a probe into the incident is continuing. We think it's important for members of our community to view the entirety of what is released rather than rely on short snippets of the media, according to the sheriff. Now remember, the argument they are going to present is a legal argument. And as I have said before, a wise teacher taught me, do not conflate what is legal to what is right. Sharon thoughts here. Yeah. I'm in fear of my life, that's all I really have to say, right? And I can shoot the kill. It's a, it's a sad thing, Dr. Ritchie, about supremacy. You know, if it goes unchecked long enough, what you are a bystander looking at, it'll come and bite you too. It'll come and bite you too. Policing, policies, it all has to be gotten under control. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in the sentiment of when they knock on your neighbor's door and you say nothing, they're gonna eventually knock on yours. All right, Sharon, always a pleasure having you on the show. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. I appreciate you always love the show, Sharon Read Live. I'm on all social media platforms, keep up the good fight. We need you more than ever. Thank you, we need each other. I appreciate you as always. All right, Bullpen is next, stick and stay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen.
He's back. We have Mr. Corey Walker, commentator Young Voices. Corey Walker is a spring 2022 college fix fellow with Reason Magazine, Chicago native, very accomplished brother. Good to have you back on the show, sir. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me back. We are going to chop it up about two dynamics. Hopefully, we have time to get to both of them. First will be the recent move by the Biden administration to forgive a certain amount of student loan debt, 10,000 or 20,000, depending on if you receive Pell Grant or not, and make a certain income. The second is the teacher shortage throughout the country. Let's first start with the student loan debt forgiveness. I don't want to presume what you believe about that particular issue. So if you would provide your sentiment and I will then opine. Yeah, so generally speaking, I'm against student loan forgiveness, largely yeah. because student loan, people who take out student loans or college graduates in general, I would say are the wealthiest portion of our population. I believe it's aggressive, you're giving money to those who are already the wealthiest portion of our populations. The majority of Americans do not have a bachelor's degree or any sort of degree whatsoever. And so you're giving something to a small sliver of our population. And so I think that any sort of forgiveness needs to be given to those who are the most vulnerable, those who most need it. College graduates are just not necessarily those individuals. You know, um, you're talking about 13% of Americans that actually have this level have student loan debt, um, and quite in the Biden administration, his policy was for um, anyone that makes under $125,000, which is literally three times more than the median income. So we have to ask who's just really helping. And quite frankly, I feel like this is Biden giving a handout and trying to buy votes from from his constituents, which are overwhelmingly mostly college grads. He, I mean, not most college grads, but Democrats tend to dominate with college graduates. And so it's, it's a handout. And so I, I'm opposed to it for that reason. And especially when you're not dealing with administrative costs, which are why college are so, is so expensive in the first place. All right, so there are a few dynamics I would like to uncover here. So mm-hmm. you're close on your numbers. It's actually 14% of the okay. American population, not 13. But here's something very interesting, and this is this has become conflated in conversations. We're not talking about college graduates. When we're talking about college loan debt, we're talking about anyone who has decided to take out college loans in right. order to go to college classes. Well, the vast majority of individuals who go to college actually do not graduate college, the vast majority. But they still take out loans, dear brother. So you are conf- you are configuring two dynamics that don't coexist. One is the average household median income of a college graduate, which is different than the average household median income of someone who has college loan debt, who went to college but did not graduate. Mm-hmm. So it does impact a smaller percentage of the population. Granted, you have 14% of the population will have these particular loans. There's a qualifier, as you mentioned, you gotta make 125,000, 120,000 or less to qualify in the first place with mm-hmm. a few other variables. And you can get up to $20,000 of debt relief if you receive the Pell Grant. But right. you said something at the end of your commentary, brother, that I would like to expand a little bit. Why do you think student loan debt is so high? Tell me how this happened. 
Well, I think a large part of the reason is that college has gotten so expensive to attend in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the issue is that we encouraged everyone to attend college, which yep. quite frankly, everyone didn't need to be in college. Um, I think that we're starting to see a lot of um, disappointing returns in regards to things like actual attainment and an increase in things like critical thinking skills, reading ability, uh, quantitative ability after college. And part of that is because we didn't need to send everyone there. Not every entry level job needs a college degree. So I think that this inflation of demand is cost, part of that is cost, uh, cost colleges become more expensive. But then another part is just the administrative bloat. Like we don't need to have a hundred and something DEI officers at every school. That's part of the reason why college is so expensive. I attended one of the schools I attended is University of Michigan, which is notorious for having like, well, I think over 100 DEI officers. No one knows what they do. Diversity hasn't improved at Michigan. All of them are making six figures. Why is that the case? If you're going to have college debt forgiveness, on one hand, that's, I mean, I'm not supportive of that, but if you're going to do it, at least tie that to forcing schools to get rid of that administrative bloat, which will make college less expensive because you're helping everyone that's already gone through the college pipeline, which not doing anything for the kids that are gonna come through the pipeline. And quite frankly, those kids, I think it's it's projected that college debt is going to increase to the, the current day amount four years after it's canceled because we're not doing anything to address why college debt has ballooned and why college is so expensive, which is administrative bloat. Okay, administrative bloat. Now, would you agree with me that the reason why, and by the way, I am not a guy who says everybody has to go to college. Uh, And big ups to University of Michigan, I actually lectured there last year. Um, I'm not the guy that says everybody needs to go to college. As a matter of fact, I work with technical colleges uh, for skill-based training. But even those technical colleges, Many individuals who attend them, these programs that certify you for AC, um, electrical, etc., they still have to take out loans. These are accredited programs that qualify for loans. These loans are lower, but they don't make enough prerequisite income in order to simply purchase the uh, education, so to speak. So you still have that scenario. But let's talk about the why again, because I think you're close to where I'm going. Would you not agree? That part of the reason that student loan debt is high is because the government is willing to back the loan, thus enhancing or increasing the cost of education universally. Would you not agree with me? Absolutely, I would say that. Yeah, I would. I would say that you hit the nail on the head with that one. I think that the amount of student loans that have been made available is a large reason why debt is so high. The fact that we have federally backed student loans. If colleges know that you can access the money somehow, they don't care if you can afford it. Like if you, for example, NYU, like a pretty prestigious school is notorious for this. They'll make kids knowing they can't afford to go there. And I'll tell them to take out $40,000 per year in loans uh, to cover it. And kids take out those loans largely because they know that you know, well, they believe that going to a prestigious school will help them in the future. NYU or many schools um, understand that these kids can access the money somehow. They don't know, they don't care where it's coming from. They just want the money, and then they use that money to do a bunch of other stuff, like hire DI officers or build, you know, these like luxury um, dorms and you know, fantastical, beautiful workout facilities. None of this has to do with actual education. Okay, it's it's bloating the cost of college. All right. Yes, but the federal government backing is a large part of the reason why we're here. This is the reason why I actually advocate for a government solution. 
Because we can both agree that part of the problem was created by the government itself. Right. And I 100% believe that the cost of education has skyrocketed due to government backed loans. And it wasn't a reasonable connection. So you have the cost of education too damn high. I say that to all of my college students, it costs too much damn money to go to college. The government is partly responsible as you have just laid out. Which also means if the government is partly responsible, then the government should have a partial remedy. And part of that partial remedy, dear brother, is to allocate a level of student loan forgiveness at the rate of 10 to 20,000. I wish it was more, I think it should be more. So that's number one, if the government is partly responsible, then the government should have a responsible remedy for their part in the bloviated cost of higher education. The second thing is, the same individuals who were hardcore critical of any level of debt forgiveness for individuals that make under 125,000 a year, those same people, all of them Republicans, received massive forgiveness for their PPP loans. Do you not consider that to be quite hypocritical for people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and others to go on national television, besmirch the loan forgiveness program for individuals that don't make nearly as much as they do, and at the same time, they accepted the forgiveness of their own government backed loans? I don't think it's hypocritical because the government Forced businesses to shut down during the pandemic. Even many, many of these Republicans didn't want their businesses, their states to shut down. The government forced them to do that. So therefore, yes, they were able to have those things forgiven. But that was under the realities that the government was directly responsible for that. The government doesn't force anyone to go to college. They don't force you to go to a college you can't afford. I mean, there's other options. Kids can go to community. Yes, sir. I got to say this, dear brother. You're incorrect on two fronts. Number one. The PPP loan was specifically designed for individuals who did not shut down operations. It was specifically designed for companies that actually kept and employed staff in the midst of COVID or the height of COVID, number one. Number two, you just proved my point. You said, dear brother, that because the government was somewhat complicit in what happened with businesses, they should also be complicit in the remedy. Which is my exact point about student loan debt. If you admit that the government was complicit in why student loan debt is out of control, you must then, sir, logically conclude that the government must make reasonable remedy for what they helped create. Where am I wrong here? Well, what I'm saying is, is that Aside from the PPP thing, because that's like a different debate. But what I'm saying about student loans in general is, is that I, I agree with you. There needs to be some sort of government remedy. I'm not saying that the I don't think the remedy is the same for both of us. I think that to me, administrative costs need to go down. If you're going to give any sort of forgiveness, it should be um, concentrate to those who went to predatory schools such as ITT Tech or University of Phoenix. A lot of these schools that do target the most vulnerable people. Um, I think that if you're going to have a student loan forgiveness program, it needs to be um, tied together with breaking down this administrative bloat. The same people that say things like student loan forgiveness is like anti-racist because it'll disproportionately help black people are saying people that want to have all these DEI officers employed. And that's a large reason why we're paying so much 
to yeah, have- Yeah, but that's not it, dear brother. The diversity and inclusion departments take up less than 1% of your overall educational costs. You can find that at the Department of Education. So that cannot be your problem. It's less than 1% of the well, overall I, budget. I'm not saying that's the only, that, I'm not saying that's the only thing, but I'm saying that it's part of the reason why. There's a lot of just, predatory schools in the first place. For example, university, um, this government tried to shut down one of the most predatory law schools in the Yeah, but that's country. a different argument. I agree with right. you, they are predatory institutions. They are predatory lenders in the world. I get that part, that's a separate conversation than hard working decent individuals who take out a loan in order to get uh, access to college courses. And by the way, you still make more money year, uh, yearly if you have some college or a college degree than if you do Absolutely. not. That bears out in the stats. Uh, but let me ask you this before you go because we have the next show coming up. Do you agree that there should be at least one in every state, at least one free college option for individuals in that state? Yeah, I mean, I've been a supporter of free community colleges. I think okay. that makes a lot of sense economically. I do think that there should be some form of a free college available. Um, and I think that there's definitely ways to make that um, make that make sense. And I don't think that it makes sense to have every public college be free for a variety of reasons we don't have time to get into. But I do think that there are ways to make certain colleges that are particularly low cost, especially things like HBCUs, schools that don't necessarily do a lot of research, make that free. Um, and I think that that would address college uh, costs for a, particularly our most poorest demographics. Harvard and Yale and Michigan and MIT, those don't need to be free. But I do think that there are ways to make college accessible to everyone. All right, and, and I just wanna say this, brother, I'm a professor at an HBCU. HBCUs do engage in significant research um, up and down the uh, equation. But I will agree we should have a free option, even with a free option per state. You have to create a caveat in that policy to make sure you don't dry up HBCUs because many black folk would go to the free option because HBCUs become less attractive due to affordability. So you gotta create a policy that makes sense to not dry up our HBCUs because we need them. Brother, always a pleasure having you on the program, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, appreciate it. All right, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always, Indisputable. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today. But what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm -hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's well, a racist I, 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 policy, I racist policy. Shelly, here's what I don't know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it though.